The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about protecting data in your company. And we're not just talking about huge companies, you know, like Bank of America or the credit bureaus, you know, or hospitals we're talking about everyone who has databases because you could have a little mom and pop internet company and you have to worry about all the data that you're collecting so we're going to talk about that and i read this great article in the daily journal called and the name of it was general Counsel's highest concern data and so this is by justine phillips and she is an active member of the employer services and cybersecurity team at McKenna Long and Aldridge LLP. She's an attorney. She focuses her practice on employment litigation and counseling, commercial litigation, data breach, and cybersecurity related issues, which is really what we're going to talk about. Uh, Justine Phillips' experience includes advising clients on issues relating to employee privacy issues, data retention and security, social media issues for businesses, which is huge, employment agreements, and just many, many areas of employment, wage and hour, and other privacy-related issues. And she has defended companies in both state and federal uh, courts against claims of discrimination, harassment, retaliation, and wrongful dismissals. Additionally, she has experience assisting clients with crisis management and forensic investigations for data breaches, cyber attacks, and complex e-discovery. So she has a lot of great experience, and I really enjoyed her article. And you can learn more about her at our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. And also at their website for her law firm, it's McKennaLong.com. So thank you for joining us from San Diego. Thank you so much for having me, Mari. I really enjoy the show. Well, thank you for writing the article, Justine. I think it was really a great article. It was really for for general counsel, but a lot of companies don't have general counsel, so it's a great set of you know suggestions for any business. Let's talk about what companies really can do to protect themselves against cyber attacks. 
Well, you know, and the article was originally um, drafted to address companies of all sizes. And um, when we um, had it, give, turned it over to the Daily Journal, um, they came up with a different title. The, the title was actually intended to reach the mom and pops and the types of companies that don't necessarily understand security. Um, understand they, Their general understanding is that privacy is important um, and they know they don't want to have a breach, but not really understanding what they can do to protect themselves. Um, as you know, uh, general counsel tend to be a, a lot more knowledgeable about these issues, um, but uh, the title had been changed, and, and the theme of it throughout was um, an earthquake-related theme. Of course, you and me, Mari, are in California, so we get the, um, <laughs> the undertone. But um, cyber attacks really are like earthquakes because they tend to be under most people's radars, and most businesses, particularly the mom and pops um, or the demographic of, I would say, 500 employees or less, tend not to have the um, security infrastructure to protect and register some of the data breaches. Yeah, they so, don't have an IT department like, you know, like these major companies that have IT departments and security departments. They just, you know, they may have a general console and they may not even have a general console. Yes, absolutely. And the um, as we see now, there's even uh, degrees being offered in cybersecurity, um, and we're seeing more companies hire security specific to IT, um, not even having IT provide the um, overreaching department that they answer to, but they would answer and report directly to the uh, COOs and CEOs of the company. That's how important security is becoming. Right. So so let's talk a little bit about how these companies that are driving by, how can they protect themselves? Well, there's there's a number of things that can be done. Generally speaking, um, understanding, and, and I know this is said often in our industry, but um, without adequate security, there is no such thing as privacy. Right. And you know, one of the most important things that can be done um, is to have some type of um, software um, or, or understanding of the vulnerabilities that your company may, may face. And it really is driven by the type of data that is stored. So th- question number one is, what type of data do you have? Uh, is it employee data? Is it healthcare data? Is it financial data? Um, certainly the financial and the credit card industry um, are leaders because of the PCI um, component and some of the requirements to be compliant. But um, it depends on the type of data that you have. Now, almost all companies are going to have employment data, personnel um, information, social security numbers, um, uh, banking information for a direct deposit. And even even a small company that has this type of information um, needs to ask whether or not they should be encrypting that data. Um, Are they taking adequate um, measures to make sure that those files are are not available to everybody in the company? and, you know, internally just recognizing, one, what is, what is it that we're trying to protect? And then, two, if there's um, customer databases and consumer information included in those databases, then is it important enough for us to justify a greater cost? So should we bring in cybersecurity sec- cyber vendors and software in order to protect the data? Right. And sometimes people are collecting data that they don't even need the sensitive. 
oh, isn't that the truth? And and we do see that all the time, residual data that spills over onto um, servers that, that, you know, individuals or companies are generally not aware of. Um, and, and really, that's one of the functions of a security um, personnel who can identify where information is going, have a, have a solid data map and, and knowledge of what your infrastructure looks like. Um, and that's, that's, that's essentially the number one component into mitigating and preventing uh, loss of data. Yeah, they, you know, think about what you're collecting first. Why are you collecting? If you don't need it, don't collect it because it's just really going to expose you to more liability, right? That's absolutely right. In litigation, as you, you know, you're an attorney, you can appreciate this. We often see when um, companies hold on to information and data in perpetuity. Right. There's a general um, feeling that certain information I'm not allowed to get rid of. I can't get rid of certain information. And that's the wrong approach. Data is particularly now that it's electronically saved and stored. There's got to be mechanisms and destruction policies to get rid of to get rid of certain information. You don't want to hold on to it forever. Um, and in fact, when, when we represent clients who have held on to that information, it's often in those fishing expeditions that the other side gets their hands on something that could be detrimental. So it is important to understand what are the requirements, what's the data, what are the requirements that are imposed on, on me and my specific obligations on storing that data, and then when can I get rid of it? When is it okay to say, enough, I don't need that obligation anymore? And if you are going to save it, then how am I protecting it? Is it secure? Is it encrypted? And what sort of measures am I taking? And, you know, Justine, when you're talking about, you know, how am I going to secure it, even when you discard it, you know, there are laws that when you discard sensitive data, you have to completely destroy it so that no one else can get a hold of it. Because there's, you know, people can go to the dump and pick up banker boxes of stuff. And this has happened, you know, where my husband went to the dump, he's a general contractor and brought back banker boxes from law firms that there was sensitive data in there with people's financial information and social security numbers. So this applies across the board. This is every single business that when you're discarding data that you don't need, Make sure you go and shred it. In fact, they're, you know, they often have shredding events where you can go to, they have these trucks that the cities will hire. They have that here in Laguna Niguel that they'll come and you can bring up to 10 banker boxes. If you're a little tiny business, you can bring 10 banker boxes for free and they will shred it right in front of you. So it isn't that expensive to do that. So just make sure that you do shred and um, take care of that data when you're getting rid of it, too. Isn't that a problem? Oh, absolutely. And hardware, I mean, the data, I mean, when we think of banker's boxes, I mean, I think that's where our system about security has been driven is that we think about it in a tangible form. Um, But when you dispose of hardware um, that has potentially terabytes of information on it, if you dispose of a server, are you appropriately sanitizing it and getting rid of the data? And then, and then, you know, what, what happens after that and where does it go? So those, those are very big concerns um, that require adequate security around even the destruction of the information. Even I know when I got a new, one of these big uh, copiers, you know, a copy scanner, I, I was so worried about getting rid of that and getting my new one because I thought, oh my gosh, I had read that the data is stored in the computers in these particular uh, 
printers as well, Xerox mm. printers. The one I had luckily didn't, but my new one does. So I have to remember when I'm getting my new one that I'm going to lease to make sure that that database is destroyed as well. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Very good point. And we forget about these things. It's so much to know. I mean, it's pretty overwhelming for employers, isn't it, Justine? It can be. It certainly can be. Um, there's there are so many resources available um, online, and and with um, you know, councils often um, can help, and in house and outside council um, security specialists can can often help. And there's a lot of vendors in this space. Um, one issue that is another growing um, and will be very much, and I thought went very well with my earthquake theme, which is uh, make sure you have insurance and um, and cyber risk coverage is on is on the uptick because of some of the litigation currently pending in various courts throughout the country on whether general commercial liability uh, offers some sort of insurance for data breaches or technology-related events. And insurance companies have seen, because of this, um, an absolute market for offering policies to cover data breaches. And that's such a good point, because if you have business insurance, which we all do, Mm. you know, your regular business insurance for a fire or some kind of a loss is not going to necessarily cover cybersecurity. In fact, now, because you're talking about these lawsuits, they're specifically going to exclude that. That's right. That's right. And they've they've been uh, writing all types of uh, addendums and exclusions for cyber events um, and privacy-related events. Uh, So it can definitely uh, be – nobody should rely on general liability anymore for data breaches. Uh, The insurance companies are wise to it. They're now offering specific policies for it. And um, and you can check with with your local broker um, who offers business coverage for some sort of parallel cyber event, and that's also a good way to mitigate loss in if you don't have adequate security and you know you don't have adequate security. An interesting question um, will be is what are the insurance companies going to do before offering the policy? Will there be um, some sort of inquiry made about what type of security the company has before the premiums um, are, are, are made. So it, it'll be an yeah. interesting area to look at. Yeah, I actually am real familiar with some of these policies and there are, you know, conditions precedent to, to getting the policy and you have to fill out these questionnaires to answer whether you do certain things. And if obviously if you say that you've done the things that you're supposed to do and you haven't, then if you do have an incident, then they can say, well, wait a minute, you know, you did not tell us the truth. You didn't have this in place, so we don't have right. to cover you. And um, But some of the companies are, are offering software to help you and, you know, uh, because they know that the cybersecurity is important and they do want to also eliminate or not eliminate, but reduce their risk that they give you some help in, in actually uh, protecting yourself. And, and so to be able to get that insurance, you have to do your privacy audit yourself, but they give you some software to help you. And I mean, I think it's a good idea to, to do that because I think they are there to educate you as well because that helps them to protect their own, you know, litigation. That's right. And, and because we don't have um, uh, any federal legislation and each state is, is looking at this issue on their own, um, the private sector, I, I feel like this is a response by the private sector to say, okay, here's some, 
here's some minimum basic best practices. And here's with security, here, here's the minimum that needs to be done. And um, sort of driving some of the security in the, in, for the moment in the private area um, and industry. Um, and one of, one of the things that they ask is they're an incident response plan. And do you have a data map of your servers and with your endpoints? And, um, you know, are there, do you have, one thing that we recommend to clients is do you have a crisis management protocol? Um, Do you know who your team is? Um, And developing that plan in advance of an incident can also uh, help mitigate the loss and the scope of damage. Let's talk a little bit about what is included in a data incident response plan. So my, you know, my audience who's listening, who in the car, they'll kind of know what are what are some of the things that they need to be thinking about when they're instituting a plan. When you think about a plan, um, I recommend taking a holistic approach to the potential problem. And like any policy that a company has and protocol that they have on their books, it's important to understand who is going to be on your, your first line of defense and who, where is the information going to be generated. It's often going to be somebody in a, a larger company to the extent they have teams of folks who are in the security realm um, who will be monitoring the firewall and looking for um, data breaches and um, or at least potential intrusions and inquiries being made on their system. Um, and those folks are generally the ones that escalated upwards and, and identifying who is on your team before this incident occurs is critically important. Um, an incident response plan should also include a data map of all the servers um, and all the information that, um, so when you come in and you say, okay, where is the problem, and what are the potential sources, and what are the potential other problems that could be occurring, you have a very clear um, chain of command that's included, and you also have a very clear sense of what the architecture and environment looks like. So what about these companies? Well, I guess there's two two questions that come up when I listen to you about that. One about one is what about all these mobile devices that carry a lot of data? Mm. It is one of the great risks um that law firms face uh in regard to the mobility of USB keys and cell phones and iPads, yeah. <laughs> iPads, yes. Well, and that's we are moving towards um, a world like the Jetsons. So we um, we definitely have um, more vulnerability because of that. Um, certainly, you can be very good at protecting um, your servers and have security in place, but without adequate training of the end users, um, your your workforce um, and your employees, it can be meaningless because the information that resides on the mobile devices doesn't register necessarily with the firewalls and the other security measures. They Like they say that the weakest link is really the human factor. Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, when you look at the chronology of security breaches that are on the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse website, um, and that's privacyrights.org, and you look at what kinds of breaches... Um, a lot of it is from not necessarily dirty insiders, but careless insiders. It could yeah. be it could be dirty insiders, people who are disgruntled employees, but also there's people who are just like they're not well trained, and yeah. things get lost. You know, backup tapes are lost, or or you know, laptops are left somewhere or stolen, or and they're not encrypted, or 
iPads have a ton of stuff on it, and they're just so easy to, to leave somewhere. That's absolutely right. And, and one of the things a company can do that's very easy is to, before access is given to company servers or before um, authorized use of a mobile device um, is given to an employee, it is important to um, require password access. Um, so you, you would have to have a four-digit password on your device before you can have access to our servers. That's a very easy policy to implement, and in fact, most companies do. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, having encryption is, is really not that hard nowadays, and encrypting important data so that even if somebody does get into your, in, in, you know, into your device, it's encrypted, and they don't have that in, the, the key to decrypt. Yeah, and, and hopefully the key is not stored somewhere with the, with the device. Um, that right. is definitely, I, you know, I, I, in the area of um, cyber attacks and data breaches, the mobile device is absolutely a vulnerability. But with the um, trend and, and the advanced persistent threat coming from outside the United States, there's a general lax attitude towards mobile, mobile devices. Um, I think folks tend to think that, man, eh, the breaches are happening overseas and they're pulling my information um, elsewhere, um, so I don't really need to worry about, you know, the average person in Starbucks, um, you know, getting my mobile device and taking information. But some of the cases that we've seen in the United States have been, in fact, transmission of information in the United States and stolen in the United States. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's definitely an important piece. Um, I think uh, an imperative point when you promise confidentiality um, to make sure that your end users are aware, what exactly does that mean in regards to my mobile device? Um, what does confidentiality mean? Can I make that agreement? And in my profession and your profession, Mari, um, confidentiality is key. Let's talk about confidentiality and non-disclosure agreements. How can that protect the company? Well, it gives it it gives their ability once there has been um, a breach and it was suspected by an insider. It gives them an opportunity to have some teeth and be able to enforce an agreement. Um, confidentiality and non-disclosure agreements are standard employment type agreements. So you have your employee sign this agreement generally at the time of hire. And one, it gives you the ability to say at the, for the first time, we have very confidential and important information that you are going to be privy to. And you have to take that seriously. Um, and then if something happens, you can then seek to enforce the agreement, and there's usually provisions included um, that, that allow you to enforce it against the individual um, post-employment as well as during employment. And so the legal resource that can be taken um, in that event is, is important. You know, the, people don't realize how expensive a security breach can be. Can we talk a little bit about that? You know, I'm, I'm oh, a fellow, yeah. you know, I'm a fellow with the Poneman Institute and every year he does these surveys, the cost of a security breach, because as you know, in California and, and my listeners may or may not know that if you have a security breach and your data wasn't encrypted and it was 
taken by an unauthorized person, then you have a duty to disclose this to all possible people who would be affected by this breach. Yeah. And so with that, um, I mean, that's why the carrot was if you... Uh, do encrypt you don't have to disclose it but yeah. but but yeah. the reality is it's very expensive to disclose if you have a breach there maybe there were thousands of people's sensitive data that was in there like a hospital let's talk about that what what does it mean to really deal with it, the cost of a security breach well and it's a it's what sufficiently terrorizes the public and employers and businesses is now we have a breach. Now it is on our radar. What is going to be the cost and can we even afford it? Obviously, it could it could put a company under, bring it to its knees, having um, a large data breach of the nature you just described. The um, you know, there's so many there's so many things to talk about with with that. One is um, the necessity of if you suspect that you have had a data breach um, for whatever reason, you've had customers or employees bring it to your attention, um, and and you suspect that that's happened. It is so critically important to preserve the data, um, and that relates just in your ability to defend yourself in case. Um, anything bad happens, you can say, okay, this is what we did as soon as we found out, and your actions will be judged thereafter. Um, so that that's very important. Preserve your data. But the um, the cost involved, and what what is the latest on Poneman? Is it six and a half million per data breach? Well, it, it I don't know what the the most recent is, and it depends on the size of the company and the size of the breach. But it is um, it is very costly when you add up. All, all that you have to do. Obviously, if it's more than, what is it, 250000 you can do public in the newspaper. Of course, that's very embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's still expensive to do that and to set up call centers and, and do all the things you need to do is maybe giving uh, credit reports, uh, you know, monitoring credit reports for the people who have been affected. So it is uh, it is quite high. I have to look. He has a brand new one out. I have to look at. Does he have a new one? I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. It's very yeah. good. Um, and and we rely on those when we want to terrorize um, folks. We scare them straight into uh, <laughs> in into taking cybersecurity seriously. But the um, the you know let's just say it was six and a half million, um, and that's that's just a cost to the company. If you don't have insurance, that is a straight up cost. That's usually made up of attorneys' fees. Um, disclosure requirements and costs um, to the consumer for um, whatever type of, um, depending on the state you're in, uh, whatever type of identity uh, protection that needs to be afforded to them following the incident. Um, So the the cost is enough to, to want to mitigate in the event that it happens. There is a general sense that if I don't know it's happening, then I don't have any reason to believe there's been a breach, and so I don't have any reason to make any notifications or to do anything about it. That is not um, sufficient under California law, as you know, um, which I I see with um, the current legislation in California. It's not just if you have been breached. It's if you have reason to believe you've been breached. Right. And it is um, the, the... forensic piece of it. So once you preserve the evidence and you've got your arms around, okay, I think this has happened. It's very important to have a third party intervene at that point. And um, if you have counsel involved, they can wrap it all in privilege and protect you from um, getting the um, information that is learned throughout the investigation, um, keeping it 
well, presumption of privilege and confidential. And that's, um, that's where um, a firm like mine would come in and we would conduct the investigation. We'd find, uh, make findings and advise as to what your notification requirements are. The, um, the, the piece of it that's so difficult is, is it can take time and the investigation can take time. And there are many answers that need um, to need to be made expeditiously. Um, so having what we t- previously talked about, a plan, um, preserving the evidence, securing your infrastructure, helps you get to that end point much quicker. Um, if you have somebody who understands your security and can help um, and be service that third-party investigator, that can obviously be, be very valuable. Well, we are just out of time. Will you believe that, Justine? This is wonderful. Thank you so much. We are going to send people to your website. So please just give your website right now. Uh, my website is McKennalong.com and um, forward slash Justine Phillips. Well, that's terrific. And we will have you back again. Keep up the great work. And thank you so much for joining us. Joining thank you. Us. Thank you so much, Mari. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. And write us emails about what's important to you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.